Thank you. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We are in a series in Hebrews. We're not going to be here for a year. We're going to take big chunks of this passage and, I mean, of each passage and move on uh, through the book, stopping every now and then to pick up and to dig into more uh, pertinent topics as we find them. But as we know from study that the book of Hebrews has no author. It has an author, we just don't know who it is. God has not chosen to reveal that to us, and so we're not going to waste a lot of time trying to figure out who that author is. We really don't know who uh, the book is written to, but we know the book is written to a church that is full of Jewish Christians, Jews who have become Christians by putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Jewish Christians are tempted to leave the faith, to leave the church, to fall away. And what the writer is doing, he's writing them to encourage them that Jesus is better than anything you go back to. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the kings. He's better than the priests. And so there's no need going back because you have what you need in Jesus. So listen to this passage. We're going to read all of chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by somebody, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, testifying of what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to the courage and the hope of which we boast. So the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert when your fathers tested and tried me. And for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, Their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my way. So I declared in an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses that led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if those who were disobedient? So see to it that you're not able... That so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. You can see how the old passage fits together. Let's pray. Father, open our ears that we might hear your voice today. Uh, open our eyes that we might see the truth. 
free our wills that we may walk faithfully in obedience, believing all your promises. To the glory of Christ, we ask this. Amen. One summer, General Assembly was held in Colorado Springs, probably one of the most beautiful places on earth, in my opinion. Uh, but I could not really enjoy the trip that we took because we had these three little kids that I felt responsible for, and I didn't want them falling off a mountain. And so I didn't let them get any closer than the highway to anything. You know, I ruined their vacation. They still laugh about it. You know, me holding back my hands and, don't get close, you'll fall off. And Sarah's saying, relax, let them have some fun, you know. Well, I have some statistics to defend me. Did you know that six people die in our national parks every week? Did you know that over 300 die every year? And you didn't know that. You probably didn't know that we have 63 national parks in America. The odds that you would fall or die at a national park is small, but it happens. People will hike too high. A family, a father with two sons recently hiked too high in the heat, ran out of water, and all three of them died. There have been people who fall off the ledge. There have been people who uh, turn over in their canoes or hit their head on a rock while they're rafting. There are people who uh, get uh, fall off the cliff taking a selfie. That's a thing that's become a big thing. And... The amazing thing about it, there are warning signs everywhere. You know, danger, don't get any closer, or, you know, don't feed the bears, or don't ride the buffalo, or don't try to bathe in the, in the uh, geyser, you know. And people ignore the warnings, and they perish because of it. Hebrews 3 is a warning. The whole chapter is a warning so that you won't fall away. It's a way of God encouraging you to persevere to the very end. It is really a pastoral letter. Uh, we don't know how to, it's not an epistle, it's not really a treatise, it's not really a, we don't know how to describe it, but most people say it's a pastoral sermon to this congregation. And this pastor is concerned that these people are going to leave Jesus, and so he makes these three warnings. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Number two, don't harden your hearts. And number three, don't fail to encourage one another. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. I like that instead of consider or contemplate or ponder, or study. That's a good southern word, to fix. You know, we're always fixing something. But fix your eyes on Jesus. The apostle and the high priest of our confession. You see, Christianity is about Jesus. It's not morality. It's not religion. It's not doing better, trying better. It's about Jesus. That he came, born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, tempted in all points like as we are, died an atoning death, raised bodily from the grave, ascended into heaven, praying for us every day. It's about Jesus. 
And so what the apostle or whoever's writing this is saying is fix your thoughts, your mind on Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. Jesus is, as we saw last week, the captain of our salvation. And did you know there's one horse that I know of in the Smithsonian? You probably know who it is. Some of you might not. It's Sheridan. Uh, General Sheridan, a Union general's horse, is in the Smithsonian because of what happened or what he did at this one event in his life. Sheridan was a general for the Northern Army, and at the Battle of Cedar Creek, he thought he had everything lined up safely. Sheridan did. And so he had fallen back to uh, Winchester, which is 10 miles away, and he was ready for the battle maybe the next day or the day after. And he got word that the line was not holding, that people were retreating and people were running back and, and, uh, and running away from battle. And so he jumped on his horse, Renzi, and he rode 10 miles. He got 20 other people, I think, with him, and they rode. And everywhere they came to people that were deserting the front lines, he'd say, turn around and go back. And then he went by the hospitals, and he said, oh, they can, go back. And he went to the front line, and he took his hat off, and he waved it, and he went up and down the, the, the battle line. And one of the soldiers said it was like 10,000 reinforcements came. And the line was reestablished. That's what the writer is talking about. That Jesus is standing before us in all of his glory and said, fix your eyes on me and you'll never leave. You will never desert or fall away. But then he mentions Moses. Moses to a Jewish person was like mentioning the most important person in the world. Moses was the greatest of all time. Moses was the one who brought them out of Egypt. He was the one who had the staff and touched the Red Sea and it parted. And he's the one that hit the rock and, and the rock gushed forth water. And he's the one that held up the staff and they won the battle. And Moses was the one that went up on the mountain and the mountain that smoked and quaked and talked with God. And he's the one that brought down the tablets that God had written on. Moses was the greatest man in the Old Testament, greatest man. And Jesus... And this writer says, Jesus is of greater glory than Moses. And can you imagine what these Jewish Christians thought greater than Moses? Jesus has more glory than Moses. And what the pastor is saying is this. If you listen to Moses, then you have all the world more reason to listen to Jesus to ponder what he's doing. And he makes this comparison about this house. He says the builder is greater than the house. You know, the architect that designs it is greater than the house. You know, it's a product of his handiwork, imagination. And he says, and God is the builder of the house. He's the builder of everything. And so Jesus is the builder of everything. And then he goes a little further down and he makes his comparison. He says, Moses was faithful as a prophet, but Jesus was faithful as the apostle. 
the apostle, the one that God sent, the word made flesh. And then he goes a little bit further and he says, and Moses was great and faithful as a servant, but Jesus is a son, which is greater than a servant. And so what the writer is saying to all of us as Christians is fix our eyes on Jesus. Ponder who he is and what he said and what his promises are. And then he makes this statement that kind of confounds some of us. He says, you are God's house if we hold on to the courage and the hope of which we boast, verse number six. We're God's house. We're the place where God dwells if we hold on. What do you mean, if we hold on? Is there a possibility that we won't hold on? Aren't we Presbyterians? Don't we believe in the perseverance of the saints? Don't we believe that if you are truly saved, you can never be, quote, unsaved? Well, then why in the world is he saying, if you hold on to the confession that you have, you are God's house? Why is it this conditional clause? Because the way we persevere is by listening to the warnings of God. You know, the reason that we reach adulthood, we persevere to adulthood, is that we heed the warnings of our parents. Don't touch that. Don't run out in the road. Look both ways. Don't run with scissors. Don't dive in the shallow wind. Don't drive too fast. You know, and the way that we persevere to the age that we have arrived to is partially because we have heeded the warnings. And that's the way that God keeps his people that he works in our heart this wisdom and this grace that allows us to see what we ought to do and where we ought to be. The key to persevering is heeding the warnings of God. Listening to the signs that are given throughout the scripture. The wisdom is fix your eyes on Jesus. Second thing is don't have a hard heart. Verse 7, don't let your heart grow hard like it did in the day of Meribah and Massa. It doesn't say that. It says testing and rebellion or something like that. But what the writer is doing is he's going back and he's picking out one of the most familiar passages in all of the Old Testament. For me and for you, maybe Psalm 95 is not the our favor. Maybe Psalm 8 is, What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, that God cares for us. Psalm 23, that God is our shepherd. Uh, or Psalm 90, God is our help and our shield. But Psalm 95 was the great hymn for these Jewish Christians because it was used as a call to worship basically every Lord's Day, every Sabbath day. They would go into the temple and they would hear, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And what they were reminded of is that when you come to worship, you're coming to hear the Word of God. You're coming to hear the Word of God. 
And that when you hear the word of God, you could come expecting it. Asking that your heart, heart not be hard to it. Asking that it might be soft and bear much fruit. Because when God's word is read, God is speaking. Now, I don't mean the way that uh, some liberal theologians like Karl Barth would think. Karl Barth would say that he, he would put a great deal of emphasis on preaching and listening to the Word of God because he says during that dynamic experience that we have where I'm preaching and you're listening, that at some time in that occasion, this becomes the Word of God to you. No, it doesn't become the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It is God speaking to us today when we read this. And He says, today. He says, today three times. He says, today in verse 7. He says, today in verse 13. He says, today in verse 15. And He's basically saying, every day is a today. You know, tomorrow will be today, tomorrow. So there's this expectation that every time you're confronted with the Word of God, you have the danger that you will harden your heart. That every time you hear it read, every time you read it, every time you hear it proclaimed, you have this, you have this amazing tendency that you will not believe it. And what he's talking about, he says, that's what happened in the day of, of my testing and rebellion. If you go back and look at um, Psalm 95, you will see the two words Meribah and Massa. Uh, the event of the Old Testament that he's talking about is when they came out of the land of Egypt. Uh, they got out of, uh, from the Red Sea, they got out in the wilderness or the desert, and they came to a place where they had no water. And they began to question, they began to grumble against Moses. Why in the world you brought us out here? We're going to die of thirst. And they began to doubt God was with them. And so what God told Moses to do was, okay, these people are not grumbling against you, they're grumbling against me. And what I want you to do is strike the rock, you'll get plenty of water but I'm not real happy that they've tested me. They've tested me. They've not believed my word. But there's another passage in the Old Testament alluded to in Psalm 95. Because it was when Caleb and Moses went into the promised land and they came back with this great report that they're this huge fruit in the land. There's cities there, and we can take them if God... And they didn't believe Caleb and Joshua. They believed the other ten spies. And God said, because you didn't believe me, your bodies are going to fall in the desert, and you're never going to go in because you didn't believe me. You hardened my heart, your heart towards the Word of God, and you didn't enter the promised land. And even without saying, can you imagine what they were thinking? Moses didn't enter either. Moses didn't take him to the promised land. Because he disobeyed and didn't believe. 
He said, who is it that didn't believe those that were led out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt, those who ate manna in the desert, those who drank water from a rock, those who ate quail, those who had a pillow of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them, those people, those people didn't believe. And they fell in the desert. How do you harden your heart? How do you harden your heart? Well, obviously he's thinking about Moses going to Pharaoh and Moses basically goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, Yahweh says, let my people go. And the Pharaoh hardened his heart and said no and made them make bricks without straw. And then they would come back and Moses would have caused, God had caused another plague and he would say, God says, let my people go. And he hardened his heart. Through all of those plagues, every time Moses came, he hardened his heart. Now sometimes in there he said, not only did he harden his heart, God hardened his heart. And what the Bible is, is saying here is, by God's gracious word being rejected, this man's heart is being hardened. God is hardening his heart by giving him the word of God. Isn't that amazing? But that's how hardening happens. That somebody hears the gospel and doesn't believe. Hears it again and doesn't believe. And hears it again and doesn't believe. And hears it again and doesn't believe. And their heart gets so hard that they can't believe. Kind of like Jesus' parable of the seed and the sower, and the sower went out to sow the seed, and the seed was the word of God, and it fell on the hard path, which was a hard heart, and it didn't penetrate. How many of you have seen a path? Do you think most people intended to make a path? No, they just went this way today and they went that way to, uh, the next day and the next day and the next day and they took their friends there and that way. And over a period of time, the path developed. And I think there's, there's wisdom in seeing that gradually that we can, by rejecting or not believing the Word of God, our hearts can grow hard. Let me give you an example. I can start talking about the Lord's Day, and you can say, oh, that's the Old Testament, I've heard this before, I don't want to feel guilty because I don't want to give up my day, and that's just what Tim and Ben are always talking about, the Lord's Day, and you just dismiss it. If you dismiss it long enough, then the day becomes unimportant and you miss that delight. Or say that uh, I start preaching on giving. Here he goes again, we the budget needs help. You know, our budget has always been met because y'all are gracious, faithful givers. But I'm sure there's somebody in here that when we start talking about giving, you start saying, there they go again. That's all they want is my money. And you kind of harden your heart and you don't want to hear that. Or maybe there's a friend that you are used to be friends with and now you're alienated. And I talk about forgiveness, and if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. And you harden your heart and you say, well, you know, forgiveness, he doesn't know what happened to me. And you harden your heart to that principle and you 
It's scary. And that's the way we do it. And so often when we pray as officers before the service, we pray for your hearts that they not be hard, that they be receptive to the Word of God. Not only are we warned to fix our eyes on Jesus, don't let your hearts get hard, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. It says in verse 12, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Then it says, but encourage one another as long as you see it as today. And the passage is not just saying, you don't harden your heart. See that it, none of you hardened your heart. The none of you means all of you, every one of you, without exception. That in a true sense, we are our brother's keeper. That we are to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. That we're not to see... You know, this is one of the things we deal with in the uh, inquirers class when people are coming. Uh, to think about joining the church or affiliating with us in that kind of way. And I, I said, you know, that don't be surprised if after you've missed two or three times that, that I call and check on you. Don't get mad. Get mad if I don't call and check on you. Get frustrated with the elders if you can miss a month or two and nobody notice. Because we are to, like the army says, we leave no person behind. Look around at your friends and you say, I don't see so-and-so here as much. The remedy isn't to call Tim and say, Tim, they haven't, would you go see them? The remedy is for make sure that none of you lets anybody fall away. The church is important that we will not reach the shores of glory as long rangers. That we need each other. We need each other's gifts. We need each other's abilities. We need each other's encouragement. There's an interesting a quote I'll quote from you quote to you from one of our church fathers it really says it well as by nature we are prone to fall into evil we have need of various helps to help us in the fear of God unless our faith is repeatedly encouraged it lies dormant unless it is warmed it grows cold unless it is aroused it gets numb the writer to Hebrews therefore wishes them to stimulate one another by mutual encouragement so that Satan will not steal into their hearts and by falsehood lead them away from God. That's John Calvin who says we need each other's encouragement or we'll be led away from God. Think of the Bible and how many people had unique friends that helped them. Think about David and Jonathan. Think about Paul and Barnabas. Think about church history. Think about Calvin and Farrell. Think about Luther and Melanchthon. Think about, you know, everybody needs somebody to encourage them. Think about Pilgrim's Progress. 
Remember, Christian had left the city of destruction and he was going to the celestial city. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is the second bestseller next to the Bible of all the books ever printed. But anyway, and Christian is at the front of the book. He's he's helped by this man named Faithful, and somewhere in the in the progress of it, Hopeful comes along and becomes a partner with Christian, and they they make a covenant together. They make a covenant of faithfulness together, and you go along and you see them, and what happens is one of them will see something that the other one doesn't see. They go to buy ends and they both see the danger. They go to Mr. Hold the World and they both see the danger. And they go to, they run into Demas and Demas talks about the love of, of the world and hopeful is deceived, but Christian's not and he encourages him. And then in Doubting Castle, Christian is deceived and hopeful's not and he encourages him to find the key and he gets out. And Christian is saved out of the river by hopeful, or through the river by hopeful. We're not going to make it alone. The question is, is there anybody in your life that can challenge you? Is there anybody in your life that can exhort you and say, Hey, I, I noticed something about you. I know we've been friends a long time, but uh, you've been doing X and it really bothers me. Or, you know, have you really thought about, you know, your commitment to the Lord's day? You, you seem to come when no other conflicts are, are in the way. I've noticed you spending too much time with this person and you know you can't have a female friend if you're a male that jeopardize your marriage. And I've seen you. Do you have anybody that can really, because they love you and want you to be faithful and reach the golden gates, can exhort you? And is there anybody that you can exhort? May God give us friends that enable us to keep our eyes on Jesus, to keep our hearts from getting hard, and to encourage us that we might not fall away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this big slice of it that we looked at today. Thank you that we have one greater than Moses, one who's not just a prophet, but one who is a son, the son of the living God our captain of our salvation, our Savior, our Lord, our risen King, one who ever lives to make intercession for us. May we consider Jesus today, and we pray in his name. Amen.